Amen. Please do take your seats. Thank you, Tim. And uh, it's a joy and a privilege to be sharing the Word of God with you this morning. And it's, it's part of our Rebuilders series, which we've shaped up for you that um, the first two are looking at really God's work of restoration in our lives. And then we're moving into what Tim will share next week. And then the following week, around tables, extending the discussion to yourselves about God rebuilding in us, but also through us. But God's heart and will is to restore us, to bring wholeness to our lives, to bring life and light, to bring peace. And where, if we're honest with ourselves, where we feel broken, the Lord would come and fix us and make us whole. But the Lord has also specifically designed a way, a method, an instruction for how we are to be restored. For, for God's restorative work in our lives, there's a way he has chosen to do it. And so it's important for us today, as we look at this, we're going to be looking at God's way. And so I just wanted, from the outset, a warning, a reminder that the way the Lord will restore in our lives and even in his love to restore through our lives will not be our way, will not be somebody else's way. It will be his way. And Helen last week spoke about how Jesus made a way. And today we're going to be focusing on the presence and the personal work of the Holy Spirit in our lives that brings God's restoration, healing, and wholeness to our lives. This is how the Holy Spirit restores and rebuilds in us. Me and my daughter, we like building things together, and uh, we like you know, doing train sets and building blocks in the garden. But one of our favorite things to do together is build Lego together. And one of uh, my, ver well, our very first Lego kit that we built together was this vet on wheels, which I'd never experienced before. And uh, you can see there's a little four plus sign on it. Well, Sailor's now six, and I am now clinging to my 35th year of life because I'm 36 next week. But um, despite that old age, I know some of you are shocked at my uh, young complexion. It's all those uh, oils. Yeti, <laughs> those oils that don't work on my skin. Anyway, despite Sailor being six, despite me being 36, and, you know, I may consider myself a bit of a Lego master builder compared to my daughter, there's a picture on every Lego box of what you're about to build, right? And there's some crazy Lego things that you can build. But I can assure you that... Despite Sailor being six or me being 35, if we don't follow the instructions, it's not going to look like what it looks on the picture of the box. For God's restorative work to happen in our lives, for us to really be restored, renewed, feel his rest, comfort, for him to fix things in our lives, we've got to do it his way, not our way not somebody else's way. God has designed a way, a method, an instruction, and that's in relationship with him. We're going to hear a bit more about that in our time together. How many of you have heard of the phrase, live and learn? Maybe you've even used it before. Yeah, you've lived and learned. The whole point of that, I believe, is that 
when, when you live and learn, you live and then you make a mistake, right? Or you go through a bad experience and from that, you learn. But the emphasis of this is limited because although it says live and learn, it assumes that you've learned just because you've gone through something bad or something happened that was wrong. But the only way you can really tell if you've learned is if you live what you've learned. So the emphasis of our time together today is really to pull out, we need to learn God's way, but we also have to live it. It's not enough just to know God's way, to know about it, to memorize it, to be able to recite it. We have to live God's way, live according to his instruction if we want to see the picture on the box become the reality. And so we're going to take some time again in Isaiah chapter 57, verses 14 to 21. So if you've got your Bibles, open them or turn them on, and uh, we're going to read through this passage. Now, just to say, Isaiah, his, his prophecies, it relates to a big expanse of Israel's history. It actually relates to Israel when they're still in their kingdom, but it also relates to when they were exiled out to Babylon. It relates to the people when they were spending their time in Babylon and then their eventual return to rebuild what was left. So in the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, which is part of our reading plan, you get to hear about how Israel, who was exiled, has now come back and is rebuilding the temple. He, the, the Israelites are now rebuilding the community and they're rebuilding the walls. And so Isaiah, the nature of prophecies, Isaiah speaks into that time, but it also speaks to when they had rebuilt and even beyond. And so we pick up in verse 14, just realizing that there is a lot of hope in Isaiah, but there's also a warning, a warning not to fall back into your old ways, which is a cycle, a repeated cycle we see of the Israelites. And if we're honest, if we look closely, we can see actually and apply that to our own lives, that actually we can easily fall back to old habits and old ways of thinking. And although there's so much hope in God, there's a warning as well. Verse 14, and it will be said, build up, Build up, prepare the road, remove the obstacles out of the way of my people. For this is what the high and exalted one says. He who lives forever, whose name is holy, I live in a high and holy place, but also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. I will not accuse them forever, nor will I always be angry, for then they would faint away because of me. The very people I have created, I was enraged by their sinful greed. I punished them and hid my face in anger. Yet they kept on in their willful ways. I have seen their ways, but I will heal them. I will guide them and restore comfort to Israel's mourners, creating praise on their lips. Peace, peace to those far and near, says the Lord, and I will heal them. But. The wicked are like the tossing sea which cannot rest, whose waves cast up mire and mud. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. Here in verse 18 and 19, we get this picture which we love, right? You get God saying he wants to and he will restore by healing. It says healing twice. 
It says he will guide. It says he will comfort those who mourn. He will bring peace. This is the restorative heart of God. This is how much he wills and has for his people, for his children and for his creation, for us even today. But even though that's a lovely picture to paint, we mustn't miss verse 20 and 21. It's not the living reality for everyone, the promises of God. It says the wicked will have no rest and they will have no peace. There's another reality even to the promises of God. Even though this is a wonderful expectation for some, the wicked, it doesn't become a lived, experienced reality. I don't know about you, maybe in your life, there's been times when expectations haven't linked up to your reality or what you hoped for. Maybe the picture in the box that you were hoping for didn't quite come to be. Well, on the internet, there's this hashtag of expectations versus reality. And maybe you've never seen this before, but maybe you could relate. See, um, I'm a foodie. I love my food very much. And uh, you get all sorts of food adverts showing how lovely food is, and they raise those expectations. They make your mouth water. And uh, if you've been to McDonald's or Burger King recently, the way you order now, there's literally a digital screen where you literally press a photo of what you want, what it looks like. But unfortunately, even though the burger can look like what it does on this photo in just a moment, if you put it up, in reality, when you open up the packaging and you see the sad, soppy meat and the bun not made properly, it can be quite disappointing, right? I mean, it still tastes great, don't get me wrong. I love it, whatever it looks like. But still, it didn't quite meet up to the expectation. Or maybe over the summer, maybe over the summer holidays, some of you had the opportunity to go away on holiday. Me and my family, we got to go to Skiathos in Greece, which was wonderful. But you know on that expectation, you're hoping, you're praying even for really good weather, loads of sun. But then when you go on holiday, sometimes or some days or some moments, there's a lot of water. And I don't just mean from the sea. You can experience rain and storm and tropical rain and thunder. And again, your expectations haven't been met. Or maybe how about with family? Maybe some of you have the privilege of having children. I've got two lovely girls and uh, um, my wife works part-time and uh, sometimes she gets the joy of looking after two children, Sailor and Olivia. And um, so my expectation is they're just having a wonderful time without me. And there's my daughter, Sailor Olivia, hanging out in a hammock. That's actually with my parents. So that's my expectation of Hannah with, with my girls. But every so often, Hannah will call me, and this is the reality that I'm faced with. <laughs> and uh, thankfully, the picture's not that big, but I'm laughing in that, showing my love. And I didn't know this is a real thing, right? They are crying. You may be wondering, David, why are they crying? What did Hannah do? Well, she's laughing off screen anyway. Can't see it. But that is literally over spilt milk. Spilt chocolate milk. So it's true. People do actually cry over spilt milk. But here's the thing. When our expectations don't meet our reality, we, come, we become disappointed, right? 
I gave that as funny things. But let's be honest. There are times when our expectations haven't hit the reality and we become disappointed, we become discouraged, and we lose heart. It's important to even think about who we lose heart with. We, we get disappointed and discouraged with ourselves, with friends, loved ones, work colleagues, but also, and it's important to hear this, we get disappointed and discouraged with God. We do. And if that's how you felt, you're amongst good company here, or shared company, because that is the reality of us. In fact, that's the reality, or had been the reality of Israel. Israel you know, the promised nation who ended up experiencing, tasting, and seeing the kingdom of Israel in all its glory, ending up being led into exile, forced out into exile, and then coming back and rebuilding. And if you read Ezra and Nehemiah, part of our reading guide, you, you will see there's times, even though they've rebuilt it, there's disappointment. It wasn't what we expected on the box. But God has a way to bring restoration. And it's not only just about those external things, dreams and plans. We have to realize God's come to do some rebuilding, to do some fixing and restoration on the internal because our hearts become disappointed, discouraged as well. And so how does God do this? What's his way? Well, if we read back in verse 15 of chapter 57, as part of it, after saying where God lives and who God is and his amazing sort of um, being the king and kings, being high and exalted, it says this, I live in a high and holy place, but also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit. And what that basically means is those who are humble, who are remorseful, who are repentful, who have done wrong. This is the way that God lives with us. Now, chapter 15 talks about, uh, sorry, chapter 57 talks about God living with Israel. And this has been the history of Israel. From the time they left Egypt, there was the Ark of the Covenant, which was a place of God's dwelling and his living. And then there was the tent of meeting, which got upgraded to the temple. And then you could say Jerusalem being the city of God. But then obviously that all went wrong. And they went away, Israel, exile, and then they came back to rebuild. But as Helen shared last week, it was even beyond those external things or just the building of a place or of a city. And then we get Jesus. John chapter 1, verse 14, it says, The word became flesh and dwelled among us. The um, message version says, Jesus put, God put skin on and came to live in our neighborhood. He moved in to our neighborhood. But Jesus only came for a time. He came with a mission as well. He was going to remove the obstacles that we couldn't sin. And he died and rose again. But when he rose again, the work was unfinished in some sense. It was finished on the cross with sin. But Jesus had to return to his father. But he wasn't going to leave us as orphans on our, on our own. He was going to send the Holy Spirit. So if you want to turn with me in Acts chapter 1, it's just a... Short few verses. This is Jesus speaking. He's now resurrected, but before he goes to heaven to ascend to the right-hand side of the Father, he says this to his disciples. Verse 4, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered round him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time 
going to restore the kingdom of Israel. We'll just stop there for a moment. Remember their expectancy of like Israel, it being all about the physical place. And yet Jesus came to restore the human heart and relationship with God. This is what Jesus has to reply to this. He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus was more focused and fixed on the mending of our hearts, that our hearts of stone would become hearts of flesh. This is a prophecy of Jeremiah, that we would come to have a living relationship with God, not be so caring about the physical outward. Jesus came to deal with something internally first. But Jesus ascended to the right-hand side of the Father. And so today, the way God restores is what Jesus said, is that his Holy Spirit would come upon all who confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And the Holy Spirit would choose to not even just dwell near us or around us in our gatherings, but in us. That each and every person would have the presence of God living in them by the Spirit. And so to get even more particular, my message today is not simply to learn and live God's way. It is to learn and live by the Holy Spirit. If we want to see God's restoration happen in our lives and through our lives, and if we want to rebuild alongside God, we need to learn and live by the Holy Spirit. And so I've got three points from this passage I see that will hopefully help us to learn and live trusting and doing it the Spirit's way. And the first one is to learn and live repentance. So not just to learn about repentance, not just to do it once, but to live out a lifestyle of repentance. You see, the thing is, when I read, at least for me, when I read, and I feel like many people can relate to this, chapter 57, when we hear about Israel, what they've done wrong, what, what they've done, they've been, they've been, like, been worshipping idols, which isn't something maybe we relate to. Chapter 58 talks about social injustices, so idolatry and injustice, and for me, sometimes I remove myself from that and say, well, that's not really me. Remember the end of this chapter, it's, it talks about the wicked. I'm not wicked. And when I say wicked, I don't mean cool or sick or something like that. I mean evil. I'm not evil. It's so easy for us to remove ourselves and say, well, I'm not like that. That's not me. But if we're really honest with ourselves, if we're honest amongst ourselves here in this family, personally, but also as a family. There's pride here. There's self-centeredness. There's anger. There's jealousy. There's greed. There's gossip. There's naming and shaming and blaming. There's lust. There's lack of self-control. This is in this family. And I know it because I'm in this family. And I'm not saying this is some sort of humble brag, people, to say, look at me, I've got over this. These are things that I've dealt with. And when I say dealt with, I've, act, you know, I've made mistakes in since 2022, in this year. But the thing is, I draw such great hope from the promises of God. Because he says, if I have a contrite heart, 
if I would humble myself, if I would repent and turn from my ways and turn to him, it says the Lord will restore us. The Lord will guide us. The Lord will lead us and comfort us despite all our shameful ways. If, if, it's a big if, but if we learn and live a repentful lifestyle, God will restore you. He will restore us. And so it's not really to be pointing and naming and shaming and blaming, but at least can we be honest with ourselves. Among us, there is things that God wants to call out and he wants to lead us to a place of repentance so that he can forgive us but also restore us. There is hope, but there's also the warning not to fall back into old ways. You know, in all of that, I wanted to share, particularly in the last two months, I've noticed God's really been sort of pointing the finger or pressing me on the issue of anger. Now, I consider myself quite a patient person, and I don't think I get angry that much, but then God just kept showing me in just all these sort of ways how I actually, there's anger in me. And one of the ones where God really spoke to me is um, as much as you saw how adorable, adorable my children are, got so angry at them over the summer. It's just so annoying, <laughs> so frustrated. And you know what? Part of my anger, I think, well, that's fine to be angry because they're not doing what I said. So they're wrong. And God was sharing it so kindly. The Holy Spirit was putting on my heart saying, you know, when you're angry, David, probably 99% of the time, it's wrong. <laughs> and 1% of the time, you're kind of right. But here's the deal. When you're angry at your children, that's more about you and your insecurities than you actually caring for them. It's a hard one to hear, and it's a hard one I have to be reminded of, even today, being patient with them. It's realizing my insecurities come out when I'm angry. I'm prideful. Like, and I've got to stop measuring myself by my children's obedience, right? So I don't think my children, well, my children aren't listening to me, so all of a sudden I'm not a good father, or I'm not as good as my dad was. Oh, I've got to live up to that standard. Oh, they don't listen to me. I'm not important enough. I'm not valued enough. And I realize, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. This anger all of a sudden isn't righteous. It's wrong. But here's the deal. I get to bring it to God with a humble and contrite heart. And if I keep in that place, I can not only learn but I can live according to the Holy Spirit. Here's point two. We need to learn and live relationship. Learn and live relationship with the Holy Spirit. I think what will be really helpful for us is not realize, yes, our walk is just simply living with God, but actually, could you just imagine for a moment if God lived with you in your home? And how that would change the way you are, maybe even the way you think, your behaviors and things. Living with God like as if living with a person. Because that is the reality for anybody who calls upon the name of God, that he would choose to not only live with you, but live in you. When me and Hannah got married, we finally moved in together. Oh, what joy. We've been waiting for this moment forever, it felt like, during you know, the engagement period and even before. And we finally moved in and living together. What joy. And then immediately, I realized I couldn't live like I lived before. 
Now, you can already tell, even if this is your first time in the service, you can probably tell I'm a loud person. And I'm an obnoxious person, especially in the morning. And I realized to keep Hannah sort of happy, to keep this relationship going well, for me to keep living <laughs> under that roof, I couldn't be the loud, obnoxious person in the morning. I had to time it for some other time. I had to be sensitive to her. I realized when I wanted to chill and relax with Hannah, just jam in the living room and just maybe watch the TV or something, I realized, oh, we have to deal with the mess in the living room first. We had to tidy up the living room before we could get comfy. What? That's not how I used to live. I lived with all that mess around me, and that's fine. I can chill, no problem. Then I realized, well, one of the things Hannah taught me was uh, when we got married, I thought I was really good at cleaning. I thought I was really good at cleaning. In fact, what I've learned is I'm really good at tidying, not cleaning. And I'll leave that out up to you to work out. But then even in my tidying, I'm just good at hiding mess. Give me a cupboard, it's in there. Give me a drawer, it's in there. I've tidied, I've cleaned. That's not the way Hannah would like me to tidy and clean. Well, that's not the way she'd like us to do that together. And finally, look, there's many things I could tell you about learning to live with somebody else. But here's one that I think will really help you in your relationship with God as well. Me and Hannah, living together, um, at a time, we actually even work together here. So we spend the whole day together, afternoon, we're together, evening, we're together. And we have all that time to talk. We even clean together and do those things together. But I can assure you, if I haven't intentionally made time to talk to her, about what life, what's going on in life, how she's doing, how we're doing. I know when I'm going to bed, when my head is just about to hit the pillow because I'm done and I'm tired, Hannah will then start a deep and meaningful. And I'm just like, Hannah, we've had the whole day together. Why are you talking to me now? I am ready. I'm clocked. I'm done. Day's over. Well, let's continue tomorrow. You've got to be sensitive to the way... We do relationship. And I've got to be intentional with Hannah to have those conversations. You know, you cannot live like you did before, before Jesus or before the Holy Spirit in your life. You've got to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and his ways. You may want to jam and chill and just relax with God or do your walk with God and follow him in a certain way. But maybe God would be like, well, actually, we need to deal with this mess here. You've got to deal with this part of your life here. And as for, you know, me talking about cleaning, well, maybe I said I was good at tidying, but I would just some, hide some stuff here and here. So here's the deal. We live with God or God lives with us, and yet we've got stuff hiding in the cupboards. And God's saying, no, we need to clean that. We need to deal with this life. Let's relationally together work on this. And yet it's so strange, isn't it? Because I could live with Hannah, my wife, and I could hide things and be embarrassed of them. Don't want her to see into it. But here's the thing, God wants to help. And the thing is, Hannah would want to help if I opened up my heart enough to trust her and say, here's all my rubbish. And that's kind of marriage, isn't it? You're just constantly picking out the rubbish and saying, here it is. Same with God. He lives with you. He's not going to kick you out. He's not going to say this roof is no longer for you. But, but the Holy Spirit cares about the work of the Lord in your life. And you are a place of residence for the Holy Spirit. You're important to him, and he wants to deal with those things. And he'll deal with it in the way he wants to deal with it, in his timing, according to his way. Learn 
and live to relate by the Holy Spirit. Please be intentional with your relationship with him. Here's the thing I've found. I've always, when it's finally got into conversation with God about something I should have spoken to him about earlier on, maybe two months earlier on, I've always been like, I wish I spoke to you sooner, God. I wish I spoke about that sooner. You, you sort of dangled it out there for us to have a conversation about, but I didn't, I didn't open the door. I wasn't intentional about it. But when God has something on his heart to share with you, it's best to get it and sort it out straight away. Go for that conversation. Otherwise, two months down the line or whenever you have that conversation, you know it was so good for you, but you've just waited on it. And part of my issues when I've said about like those things that I've done wrong, I know if I'd actually listened to God a lot sooner or been intentional about those conversations, I know I wouldn't have had to have been repenting of certain things, behaviors, thoughts. It's just the way it is. God wants to help us even before those things go wrong. Finally, the third point, we need to learn and live removing the obstacles. And this relates to our relationship with God. The obstacles get in our way with our relationship with God, right? And in verse 14 of chapter 57, God says, you know, build up, build up. But he also says, remove the obstacles, the things that are in the way of the road, in the way of getting to have relationship with God. And so there's a whole manner of things you could relate to these obstacles or you can make about these obstacles. But particularly when I was praying and reading through and saying, God, what are the obstacles for us in 2022 amongst this church family? One of the things that really came up was actually unbelief. Unbelief is a massive obstacle that gets in the way with God and our relationship with God. But here's what's crazy about it. Unbelief is something we don't even see. We don't even see it in ourselves. And this is why the obstacle I wanted to bring up today is unbelief has many different ways and forms of making itself kind of, what shall I say, excusable. We come up with our excuses for our unbelief and we don't even realize we're doing it. We don't even realize how our unbelief is actually impacting our faith and relationship with God. In Isaiah chapter 58, this is the next chapter, after hearing about what will happen if you repent? So you read about chapter 58 and you see Israel have gone into a time of fasting, right? They respond well. They're like, oh, my word, we'll respond well. We'll fast. But then God calls out the fasting. He says, yet, in verse 3, yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. He goes on and on. But basically, look, they've even had a change of heart. They've repented, but they still did it their way. They were still doing things the wrong way. They still had the wrong attitude. Some of the issues is we just don't see our own obstacles. And this is what's good to live in community and live amongst people of relationships where you can trust one another and be real and be humble enough to have somebody speak into your life. Look, here's a few ways maybe you can see where unbelief is in your life. And it ties in a lot with where our expectations haven't been met by God. You know that disappointment and discouragement I shared about earlier on? Well, based on that, sometimes we have unbelief. We we lower our expectations, right? And we lower our expectations of God. When God is God, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And yet we 
minimise our relationship to downhill. We're more self-reliant. We're more, more self-dependent with the way we want to do things, with even the way we spend our money. Maybe we've spent our money and done things and hoped for God to do things in a certain way, and it hasn't happened. So, so we limit how much we give into God. We limit how we do life with God. We become full of comforts, a life full of comforts. And I'm not saying comfort is bad. I'm just saying, actually, comfort is a place where we can become lazy in our relationship with God, and we can become hesitant about the things he's asking us to do. And here's one of the massive excuses we can easily make about time. There's just no time. We, care. we want the picture in the box, right? We want restoration. We want God to be restoring life in us and through us, but then we don't even give him the way, the means in which he wants to do it by his Holy Spirit. We don't give the Holy Spirit time or we don't listen to the book. We don't learn the book. We don't do open and honest relationships. Yes, we have more quiet time. Yes, we attend church on a Sunday. But actually, we know from this book that we need to grow in relationships with one another to the point where we're reading the Bible together. We're openly sharing our lives together. We're praying for one another and calling one another to account. But we say we don't have enough time for it. We don't have enough time to serve or do this and that. And I'm not trying to build some empire chat. I'm just saying these things are obstacles and we don't even realize it. We excuse ourselves. Or here's the thing. We build our lives thinking we're building life up, but we're using obstacles to build with. We're using our own self-reliance and things. Here's the sad part. If we're open and honest to understanding that maybe there is a bit of unbelief in us or maybe my life you know, some of my life, my comings and goings are now actually based because of my unbelief. What we can realize is here in this church, we have these essential values. And our middle value, the one with the heart, is supposed to represent wholehearted worship. Church, let's not kid ourselves. If there is unbelief or a limitation there with God, we're not actually wholehearted in worship. We're divided in worship. Here's the thing again. I'll bring it back to this. The Lord's heart is to restore us and to re restore life through us. And for those who live according to the Holy Spirit, you know, we have to be repenting and repentful. We have to be relating to the Holy Spirit. And we have to allow the Holy Spirit to work in us and with us to remove the obstacles that are in the way. We need to learn and live the Holy Spirit's way. And God will. I promise you, in fact, don't even hold on to my promise. Hold on to the promise of the word of God. He will heal. He will restore us. He will bring comfort to our lives. He will guide us. He will lead us. And he will bring peace. And peace in all his fullness. I'm going to pray for us now. And then Tim's going to lead us in our response with the, the audio track as well. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your heart to restore us and to personally restore us. I thank you this word isn't just for a few people, but Lord God, this is your heart towards everyone. But we recognize within ourselves, Lord God, that even though that is a lovely hope and picture, you have designed a way, a way to bring restoration in us and through us. And so, Lord God, we just say with every person here, we just open up our hearts, Lord. Come and restore us. Holy Spirit, forgive us. Would you even just show us what things aren't right between us? 
And would you come and dwell among us? And in your kindness, would you lead us to a place of real repentance and beyond that, real living with you? I thank you, Lord God, that you keep all your promises. And so I pray right now through the disappointment and discouragement that people may be facing, Lord God, that you would speak a word of hope, life, and even revelation to them right now. In Jesus' name, amen.